Hey everyone, welcome to another week of Green Queen All Protein Weekly Live. I'm Sonali Figueres, your co-host, and with me today is Steve Molino. Hey, Steve. Hey, Sonali. Hey, uh, it's uh, it's July. Hope you had a good fourth. Um, here, I'm in France. We're gearing up for our national day, which is on um, the 14th. Um, it's definitely quieter in the news cycles as it always is. Every year I've been doing this for over a decade. July quiets down. Who knows why? I guess everybody is is kind of getting ready for those summer vibes. Um, so let's dive right in. We've got um, our big story this week is that U.S. consumers were able to taste cultivated meat, specifically chicken, for the first time. Upside Foods, the first cultivated meat company in the U.S., um, had got regulatory approval as we covered last week and teamed up with, you know, award-winning Tomb Star Michelin chef Dominique Kren in San Francisco at her Bar Kren local uh, establishment, and a few lucky people got to taste cultivated meat. So uh, history has been made. <laughs> it has been made. It has. It, it's interesting. And like, sometimes I think maybe we give a little bit too much airtime to, to cultivate it because it's just one of the many, many solutions. But I think this one deserves it in the sense that this really is historic, right? Um, it's there's, there's no longer this question of when will it be sold, right? When will people be able to eat it? And it's so such a small scale. This is not huge, but it's still there's no turning back now, right? It is the cultivated meat is technically within the food system in the U.S. and I think that'll pave the pave the way for other countries worldwide because right now it's only in in Singapore it's able to be eaten outside of the U.S. Um, but it's really interesting and and I think one thing that stood out to me for for this is that um, it's really interesting that that this 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 restaurant or the chef Kren um, basically she removed meat from her her menu in in 2018 so a while ago and this was the first time adding it back and it just does it brings up this interesting idea of um who are the first consumers of cultivated meat is it going to be meat eaters is it going to be vegans and vegetarians that have been dying to have meat again um i think long term the goal is obviously meat eaters right that's where the impact is um but i think it'll be interesting to see who the initial consumers are uh, what do you think about it yeah, a lot of thoughts. I mean, I, I won't go down the like, is it bigger or not a uh, rabbit hole? So, so oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I think that's, we, we've covered that a lot on Green Queen and we have some great pieces, including one by an anthropologist. I think it again goes back to, you know, your definition of what's vegan. And it's interesting, yes, because if 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 Barr Kren was attracting a clientele that was really, you know, excited about her vegetable forward menus, then is this something that they want to add back to their plate? Super interesting. I think two things for me, one, obviously this is historic. It's the US, it's the biggest you know, consumer market in the world other than China. So there's no doubt that this, this, has changed, this has changed the game. As you said, it's in the food system. I like how you said that. I think what it does, there has been a lot of news around cultivated lately and, and that's, you know, that's what it is. These things tend to come in waves. I've seen this my whole media life. Um, but it does also kind of open up our appetite and our, expand our horizons as consumers and as diners and as eaters for what is possible in the food system. And so I think it does it does something that goes beyond just for the cultivated sector. Um, but for me, what I thought about was a lot of alternative protein companies tend to follow this playbook of, you know, Michelin star chef. And I completely understand it. 
It's one that, you know, Impossible pioneered with Dave Chang at Momofuku and the Impossible Burger back in 2016, I believe. And it's a very, very valid, you know, strategy. I just wonder if there should also be a strategy where like a co-strategy, like maybe you do the meal at the Michelin establishments, but you also do another type of tasting somewhere else in a more kind of informal format with maybe non-gastronomically inclined diners to kind of, because the idea of these tastings is also to get feedback and to figure out mm -hmm. how, thing, how these things cook in restaurant environments. And I just think it would be also nice to have a, another version of the tasting that is maybe more mass market. I don't know. I mean, I'm not yeah. saying they should do, you know, a, a trial with a McDonald's, but I don't know, something maybe like a neighborhood cafe or like a, a, a an outdoor grill barbecue or something. I don't know, just to see the, the differences in reaction, because obviously Bar Cren is a very specific environment and format and you know, it's, 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 it's the, it's the highest end of gastro gastronomic eating, you know? Yeah, no, I, it's a really good point. And I, I mean, I feel like you said like not at a McDonald's, but like, why not? Right. Like if, if, like if upside was all of a sudden selling some chicken at KFC, like that's, if you want to talk about selling chicken in the United States, like go to a KFC, go to a Popeye's, like that's like where people really consume a lot of, yeah. a lot of, go to a Cracker Barrel, like that's, totally. that's where it is. I think and they're selling our, this at a loss, no matter what, whether you yeah, do this. No, a, I, I think from my understanding, <laughs> the issue would not be that that it would be more so on the end, on the side of the, the fast food chains where they can't introduce a new product in their kitchens. But, you know, Shake Shack started as a, as like a, um, uh, what's it, a food truck in Central, yeah. Central Park. Mm -hmm. I feel like Danny Mayer, if you're listening to this, you need to, you know, call upside and do like a food truck with like you know cultivated chicken shake shack burgers just for like one day just to like see that's a great idea okay well daddy meyer hope you're listening or do it with your friend pinky cole at slutty vegan who you invested in right i just i just think there's a way look at what she's done bringing the joy of like just delicious yummy um you know moorish vegan food and, you know, not really talking about why and it's been a huge success. And I think, you know, I don't know, I'd like to see it in that format. So anyway, that was my thought thinking about this, having reported on all these kind of cultivated meat um, <laughs> dinners and tastings. And of course, in Singapore, they've been happening for a while. And I think it was really iconic when Singapore and Good Meat, they got together and they put it in, in skewers and they put it in a uh, hawker center you know that's really where you see a different type of person interacting with it and i i love that so yeah i agree Uma, danny if you're listening <laughs> <laughs> let's make that happen let's all right, it into all right. you you may you you tag them on linkedin you get them interested <laughs> done, done. all right what's next on the docket on the news docket yeah, for me, the thing that's the, that I wanted to talk about was it says biomanufacturing facility leader Synonym launched Scaler, which is the first free online techno-economic analysis tool exclusively for fermentation. So this this is this is so interesting to me because I I, I got the email from the Synonym team like a couple of days before they officially launched it, and they said like play around with it, let us know your thoughts, and. 
basically this is a, a, an online tool that any anyone who any company who is in the fermentation space whether it be precision fermentation biomass um and i think it had gas fermentation in there too you can create your own tea which is normally you'd hire a a, a consultant of some kind and they would have do tons of work this is not a a light touch uh project and they this tool allows you to have your own tea and and do it quickly and it kind of shows you the breakdown of will this be economical based on the target protein or output that you're trying to create and um, how much the the capex will probably cost for you capex opex all of that and what i was so impressed with was and this is what i really wanted to see is i'm an investor so i was hoping that if i went in there there would be inputs that i'd be like i have no idea what a fermentation company would input for this because i'm not the specialist and that's what it was. It was so, um, so detailed. It went into the minutia. It asked for very specific information that clearly they understand how that's going to impact the economics of a fermentation facility or fermentation process. And I love that um, because if if I went in there and I understood every little bit of it and I'm just an investor and I'm not an operator, then it wouldn't be robust enough. So for any of the fermentation companies out there, that, that don't know of this or haven't heard of it, take a look. Um, and especially for the start, the really early stage startups who might not have the money for a TEA or might not have done it yet. Like this could be really, really impactful. Um, and I think it's just, it's a, it's a great resource for the space. I'm excited about it. Yeah. And I think it's great to get excited about stuff that is a little bit more, you know, upstream and really structural and fundamental and helping companies scale production um, because, you know, it can't just all be CPG plays. And I, and I think I'm, I'm hearing a lot of investors say that, that now that's what they're focusing on. And so, you know, a synonym has definitely got, got a step in, in the right direction. And hopefully we see more players like this. Definitely. I agree. I agree. What about you? What's it out to you? Um, I, I, I obviously like to think about kind of labeling. There was, there was a piece actually around lab grown that, uh, where a few people were arguing about the use of that term. And it made me think about the news because um, in the media, media loves to use the term lab grown because it's got mm. a negative connotation and it, it helps with clickbaits. It's actually entirely inaccurate for the industry as we've talked about. And so that reminded me when I was seeing the news about the, the fight for labeling precision fermentation, where industry is actually um, petitioning the FDA to call animal free dairy. So dairy that where, where you, you know, you use precision fermentation to create molecularly identical whey or casein proteins to use in, in, in alternative dairy products. Um, it, it's, they want to call it synthetic whey ingredients. So it's that just, sounds great. <laughs> it, you know, once again, using this word synthetic, which we know has this negative, unfortunate connotation and is playing on kind of consumer feelings about about how food should be natural which of course you know to some extent yes of course it's lovely to eat like your friends locally grown vegetables but of course our entire food system has been touched by processing of some kind and factories of some kind and even artisanal products are made in in food in you know in food factories and so we just it's just, again, preying on this confusion um, with this idea that that's somehow going to stop progress. And, and I think it's all it's doing is confusing consumers more. And if you look at the news of the last few months, 
This is happening in Europe, in the UK, different industries, subsectors getting fighting back against whether it's plant-based foods or cultivated foods now or or, you know, but it just where are we going with this? And, you know, I get it. The industry wants to defend itself. But to mm-hmm. me, what I what I read when I what I think when I read this is how just disjointed and inconsistent all these different kind of ways of looking at the food system is. And it, it it's just preying on the fact that most people don't really understand the food system, don't really understand where their food comes from, you know, and have these kind of biased views based on words that that cause emotional reactions that are not always entirely based in fact i i i agree and 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 i I had a long conversation with irena jerry um of of change foods on this and like i feel like um she said something that really stood out to me where i feel like for at least in this case precision fermentation dairy right in the food system what should it be labeled she was mentioning that um maybe the best approach is not find the optimal nomenclature because there might not be one. It might vary across regions or, or use cases or whatever, but find one that everyone in the industry can agree on. Every All the precision fermentation dairy players can agree on and at least have everyone act as a standing, like a, a as one group that, that has, has one voice uh, for, for the, that side of the industry. Because if, if you don't, and if it's just big dairy, all pushing one side, pushing against you. And then there's a million start- startups out there that are trying to all say they want it to be a different name. It's going to be a really hard road ahead. So I think working together on this, at least, maybe not on IP or production processes, but on nomenclature, that could be really help- helpful for the industry. Yep. I think I think there are organizations working on it, but I think this goes beyond this. This, this again, goes back to, you know, food culture. And, and, and really having a better grasp on, on where our food comes from and making choices that are less kind of emotional and, and media hype and more, you know, and, and for me as a journalist, it just reminds me of, we have such a responsibility to just really inform people and give them the facts um, about, you know, why our food system needs to change and how it's related to climate and, you know, how our food system today is actually built and you know what could be better in the future and what what we need to keep you know and I think it's just just such a reminder of the importance of language and and properly properly done journalism and reporting in 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 forming people's minds um and there's just not enough strong food reporting in the world and there's too much kind of hype and and bias making coverage <laughs> um, I agree yeah um but but to, to finish this off on on a on a positive note right because we like to we like to do that um one thing that I did want to bring up that stood out to me in this this week's newsletter was we had a, a an item in there that said the, the the Nordic nutrition recommendations for 2023 focuses on a plant-based diet for both health and the environment and it represents the largest update to the report in 40 years. Um, I, I love this. We've talked about this for other countries before, but I, that's almost what's so exciting to me is that I feel like more and more we're seeing a lot of, um, regulatory bodies uh, of some kind within different regions flat out saying that they are recommending diets that are 
that reduce meat and animal product consumption. And it's not just for environmental reasons. It's also for health reasons. It's basically just, this is the way to go. So seeing such a big update for the Nordic region on this is worth calling out. Yeah. Although we, we do have to say the Nordic regions tend to be ahead of things like, you know, socially good policies, like, like, like parental leave and things like that <laughs> balance. Yes. Uh, life balance and social kind of safety nets. And I think this is an example of, of you know, a responsible nutrition recommendation and, and looking at where we are and, and where our food system needs to go and also where we are in terms of human health, which is not in a great place and mm -hmm. kind of saying, all right, you know, we, we got, we've got to do better. And I'm just, I'm such a, a proponent of the fact that public policy and these type of of announcements and guideline changes are such a key part in advancing forward the way that we need to change our food system and the way that we need to eat, which is, you know, not only more ethically and more environmentally, um, but also more healthily. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you were even calling out to me earlier how um, there's something else in, in the newsletter that was kind of on the, the opposite side. Well, not opposite side, but uh, I was talking about how, how, different verbiage used in the U.S. public policy uh, system can impact how voters are going to vote either for or against someone and it, on if they bring up reducing meat consumption for either environmental reasons or animal welfare reasons. Um, but um, you, you were calling out to me how it's just like really, there's been a lot of work on this and a lot of research and now it's time to put it into practice to push things in the right direction. Right. But again, that was about this, that, you know, regulators and, and government is worried about voter backlash. And this is, right. this is the problem. Like government should be looking at what's best for the greater good, you know, and and maybe there there is some initial backlash. But in, in the end, we need we need to move forward. We need to buttress our food system and human health against what's coming and what is already happening. So I think we need stronger more brave leadership that isn't afraid to take a risk but anyway oh, totally agree. <laughs> let's see what happens um next week um thanks a lot steve and we'll see you everybody next